Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadle, joined today by Chris Fugay. Hey, Chris. I'm sorry, who are who is this again? This is Rachel Meadle. I'm not sure I, you know, I know for the listeners that uh, they listen every week. And so it sounds like we talk every week, but the truth is we did not talk. Wait, maybe this is two weeks in a row, Rachel, that, that we've not seen each other. So it's nice to see you again. It's nice to meet you. I know. It's been a while, Chris. It was, uh, it was a long time. Yeah. And uh, whenever we do that, I always feel like, oh, here's a week that I didn't get to chat with Rachel and share the awesome stuff that happened this week. Well, what kind of awesome stuff is happening in your neck of the woods, Chris? Well, this particular week, I got to spend a little time up in Edmonton, um, which is in Alberta. And I was there two days doing uh, presentations on AAC, you know, the necessary components of AAC. And then after those two days in Edmonton, um, I drove down and I was in Calgary and did two more days uh, with different people. So same presentation kind of. Uh, you know, same slide deck, but different people, different conversations. Uh, so it was, and it was awesome. It was really, uh, it was with Kathy Howery, who we've had on the podcast. And uh, Sean Pearson was there, who's also been on the podcast. And a large number of other people that um, are listeners to the podcast. So hello, if you're listening now, if you're new listeners who, who learned about the podcast while in Edmonton or in Calgary, uh, welcome, welcome. So it was, and it was just awesome. It was just a uh, it was great to hear uh, from different perspectives. It was great to have these these rich conversations about everything we talk about each week on the podcast. That's amazing. I saw pictures on Facebook and I had such FOMO, which I always do when you post pictures at cool conferences that I'm not at. <laughs> if people heard the the intro to one of our podcasts, our recent podcast, it was the Inspire Don't Require. People were like, what is that all about? That was me at the beginning of the session doing, hey, so here's the podcast that Rachel and I do. Hey, why don't we say hi to Rachel? And then say this. So um, that was me goofing around with them and everyone saying, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And that's everyone on the podcast. I loved it. Actually, you sent me that video and I was like, I love that. Like I love seeing because it's always a surprise. He always for listeners who obviously can't see the video that he sends. He always is so sneaky about it. It's always his face. And then like he pans out to the entire audience. (laughs) Hi, Rachel. Inspire, don't require. So it's always a, a pleasant surprise. And yeah, I, I love that phrase. So I was in Canada and I was there at the end of the summer. It was beautiful weather, you know, it's, but uh, were you on a trip as well? It looked like you were. I was, I was in Washington and I was traveling all, I did uh, Mount Rainier and the Olympic National Park. And at so, Washington State. Yes, Washington State. I have to specify because everyone thinks I'm talking about Washington, D.C. Well, especially when you live in Virginia. <laughs> exactly. And I'm from the East Coast. So a lot of the people I talk to are also from the East Coast. Uh, but yes, I was in Washington State. And every year, my brother and I, I have a twin brother, and we take a camping trip. And we call it Twin Trip. And so every year, we pick a different place that we want to go and camp and hike. And this year, Washington State was the one. And it was, it was great, but it was a lot. Over the course of three days, we did 44 miles of hiking, which sounds crazy to say out loud. It's like, you know, almost two marathons. <laughs> um, my feet, super sore, bl- blisters all over the place. I was also carrying all of my water, all of my food, the tent, the sleeping bag. You know, we were doing backcountry camping, and so you have to carry everything on your back. And so it was really intense. And I'm sure you carry him too. I mean, right? That's what it felt like. And every year I always go into these trips, giving him way more autonomy than I should. I'm like, oh, you know, you can plan, you know, this part of the journey and I'll book some hotels and things like that. And he always comes back and like, it's always a surprise to me. You know, it was the day before and he's like, so tomorrow we're going to be hiking about 15 miles. And I thought like, what? (laughs) Did I sign up for this? Um, and then of course, like once it's already planned, we had all the permits, all these things, you know, I can't be the one that says, no, I'm not going to do it. And so we did it and I'm happy we did it. We survived. Um, we actually ran out of water, which was not good. Um, because we had to, we didn't, I didn't realize how much I was going to be sweating. It was a lot of what we, the trek that we did, um, was through a rainforest, which you don't think of Washington state as having rainforests, right? But it was super humid. And of course I had like 20 pounds on my back. And we were going uphill, you know, on a lot of the parts of the trail. And so I was sweating. I was like dehydrated. And we had like a survival water filtration system if we needed it. And I took one sip of that water and I was like, nah, I'm not doing this. It tasted like straight dirt. 
And so I was like, I'll just ration my water from here on out. <laughs> like the water filter, like, so if you find water out, not like you, you pee into it or something. <laughs> no, no, no. This was like, you put a little water bottle into the, the stream and gotcha. you get water and then you filter it, but it tasted disgusting. And so you do this trip, you said yearly. Mm-hmm. So where are some other places you've gone together? So we've been to Banff in Canada. Um, I was was right there. I was like an hour away. Oh my God. You should have gone. That's one of my favorite national parks. It was so, so pretty. We've also done Zion. Um, We did, now you can't even do that hike, but we did um, the Narrows, but we did top down. So most people hike up the Narrows and they get as far as they can go and then they hike back. But there's a special trip that you used to be able to do. They, they shut it down now because it's really dangerous with all the flash floods that they have. Um, but anyway, you get dropped off at the top and then you hike down and you, you camp overnight. They only give 10 permits out a day. And so there's only 10 campsites. And so we did that. Um, we've done kind of all, all different national parks. Have you done Twin Falls, Idaho? <laughs> no, but that's definitely a place we need to go. Minneapolis, St. Paul? The Twin Cities? I mean, these are all going to go on the list now, Chris. Twin Peaks? Is that even a real place? I don't know. It is now. <laughs> so speaking of travel, that's really what we wanted to talk about today. There was sort of a, a similar travel story. You, you're traveling, I'm traveling. And then there was this kind of a thing that went viral from this person who was a speech therapist that tweeted about her experience on an airplane. Do you, you want to tell us about it? Yes. So Rachel Romero, she's based out of Boston. Um, She's an SLP and she tweeted about an experience she had with a, I think it was a 10 year old with uh, autism who was nonverbal. And over the course of a flight, she was able to introduce AAC to this young boy. And she just tweeted about her experiences and it went viral. I had people who were not, who are not speech therapists who were messaging me this tweet saying, have you seen this? I mean, they obviously know what I do for a living, but it was crazy that, you know, people who are not in my industry were sending me this. So it's so cool to think that something like that went viral. I, I had the exact same experience, you know, different family members were Facebook messaging me, uh, sending me over to it. And I was like, that's awesome. It's awesome that it makes such a huge splash in the world of people that are not necessarily keyed into AAC. Yep. So should we break it down a little bit and see what her experience was and what their tweets were? So she was on an eight-hour international flight coming back from a conference, and she was sitting next to a father and a son. Um, The son was 10 years old who had autism and was nonverbal. And the, I guess the father in advance had warned her that this might be a difficult journey uh, because he was having a lot of challenging behaviors, screaming, hitting, grabbing for things. And the poor father was repeatedly apologizing Um, And then, you know, given her background in communication, she started to introduce some AAC to him. It sounds like from the tweets that what she did is she pulled up her computer and she looked for some digital images and uh, there was something about the screen that seemed to bother the student more. So she she abandoned that strategy and she went over and she said, okay, I'm going to just draw. I'm going to try and draw some things and make a very low tech board. Uh, And what she did is she started off with words that, I mean, having just met the student, right, or just met the child, she um, started drawing some words that she knew that he liked, like maybe his dad, and, uh, well, she definitely drew a picture of his dad, and she drew a picture of, like, his stuffed penguin that was there. So, a little penguin and a little dad is what she drew. Yeah, and then she says by the end of the flight, he had made several requests, he was initiating, um, and the father was so astounded that he nearly cried. Um, which really touched my heart uh, when I read it and thought about it. And, and then, of course, she goes on to talk about you know, communication as a basic human right, which I know all the listeners to this podcast believe in. But it was just so, so fascinating. I also loved, there was part of the, one of her tweets where she said, how often do we get an eight-hour session? Um, which is true, right? Like we only typically have, you know, at most like an hour or two. And so it's interesting to see over, you know, the course of a flight, what progress can be made. Yeah, I bet that flight flew, you know, <laughs> fun, but you know what I mean? That eight hours probably just flew right by because uh, you're in totally engaged the entire time and you're playing and you're teaching the, the parent what's possible, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, this, like you said, it went viral and uh, we had to talk about it on the podcast with so many people sending it to us. There was some, you know, people in the field who work in AAC were, were talking about it, you know? And so it, it started some rich discussion. Yeah. And I think the biggest one was, you know, we just need more awareness. 
a lot of people in the comments to some of these posts were just saying, why is a 10-year-old now just being introduced to AAC? That's a problem in our field, right? That we don't have enough awareness built around AAC that he, you know, it was, he had to wait until he was 10 to access language. Yeah. I know that I'm sitting here when I first read this and I was kind of scrolling through reading here, I think, okay, eight hour flight. What would I do? I'm sitting there next to this kid. I put myself in this therapist's shoes and I thought, chances are I'm going to have a device in my backpack that I could pull out because I travel with that. You know, I travel with an iPad that has multiple communication apps on there so I could pull something out. And I wonder uh, what would happen if I did that and if I would have recognized that the student didn't seem to really um, react well with the screen. You know, I, I'm curious, you know, what kind of indicators there were like, yeah, the screen seems to be bothering him and what made it the screen, not the, I don't know, the keyboard or the case around it, you know, the bracelet or my, my watch, you know what I mean? That I'm pointing to, how do I know that it's the screen? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. The end result was showing the parent the power of communication and what's possible. Yeah. And some of the other comments were, but now what? You know, like she introduced AAC, she got kind of parent buy-in, but will this be supported? How is he going to, you know, continue to receive supports like this that can help his language and communication grow? Um, But, you know, what I would say to that is the first step is the buy-in, right? You have to show parents how powerful it can be. And it sounds like she did exactly that. And so now I know that the parent is probably very motivated to find a clinician who has AAC experience and who can help, you know, this child on this journey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if the parent, well, maybe the parent had already tried something and and thought this is not working. It's interesting that it um, is an international flight and nowhere in the story does it say what the student's primary language is, what language the first language of the father is. We don't know what country they're coming from. Um, So all those are factors, and there might be cultural factors there too that influence, um, like when we talked to Charlie Danger, you know, that podcast episode, if you go back to that one, we we really dive into how, how independence and autonomy is something that is thought of highly in the United States and maybe other countries, but not every country is unique that way. So there's a lot of factors here that play into the history of the student and the future of the student. Absolutely. Um, You know, I think, Chris, we should ask her to come on the podcast. Well, I'm sure she's already listening. Right, Rachel? (laughs) (laughs) Should we have another AAC Rachel on the podcast? (laughs) I would love that. We'll add it to the family of Rachels that have been on Rachel Langley. (laughs) Exactly. There's a lot of AAC Rachels out there. Yeah, I mean, I think we should reach out to her and see if she'd be interested because I would love to hear the story firsthand and more detail. I have a lot of questions and I think it's fascinating. And I also have to say, when I'm traveling internationally, like I'm tired. So the fact that she spent an entire flight helping a student, like, okay, like great job. I love that because my first thought was like, ooh, international flights make me sleepy. Yeah, me too. I'd be like, hmm, is Endgame on? What video is on? Maybe the kid and I can chill and watch this this movie together, you know? Um, uh, That might be my thought too, uh, as opposed to I'm going to work through an eight-hour session with him, you know? Uh, I know. I was like, oh man, like I, an eight-hour session feels intense to me. But, you know, I, I say this now, but I think that when you are in an opportunity where you have a chance to make a huge impact like that, that's what you do. That's what we do, right? That's why we got into what we do, because that's how passionate we are about giving access to communication for students who might not otherwise have, have access. You know, it's, it's so true because I remember once coming back on a flight from doing an you know, all-day presentation. This might have been my, my third leg of a flight. Uh, I was sitting next to a woman who was struggling to see her phone and she was just, and then she struck up a conversation with me and she's like, uh, what do you do? You know, however the conversation spun. And then I was like, well, I do this thing called assistive technology. I work with, you know, kids with, and, and she's like, oh, you know, actually I noticed you were working, you're struggling with your phone a little bit, like moving in closer to your eyes. Like there's some settings in here, you know, before I know it, it's two hours of me showing her different features on the iPhone that, uh, you know, you can, you can have a text read out loud if you set it up this way. Well, can you show me? And so here I was doing, you know, it wasn't an eight hour session with a, with a student, but it was two hours with this woman that, and you walk away going, that's awesome. Right. I mean, that's why we do what we do. 
I have a very similar experience. I had a really, really intense work week and it was Saturday and I said, I'm not working because a lot of times Saturday mornings I'll wake up and I'll do some work and read some ASHA leaders and get to know the, the latest and greatest research. And this Saturday, I was so burnt out from my week. So I decide that I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to have a day where I don't work. And so, and when you have your own business, it's like days like that feel like very few and far between. So I decide to go to the beach. I put my towel down and I'm like, ah, the sun, the surf, this is my day. And then all of a sudden I hear a child screaming right next to, next to me in a blanket next to me. And I start looking and I'm like, hmm. I'm like, I know that scream. I know. And the child wasn't talking. I'm like, this seems like a child with autism. And it was an 11-year-old girl with autism, um, minimally verbal. And I just kind of sat and I listened. And it was like breaking my heart because the mom was trying to get her off the beach because she was kind of having a meltdown and the girl didn't want to leave. And then so she was kind of like, the mom was trying to like force her to get up. And then she was like aggressing towards her and trying to bite her and hit her and all these things. And I was like, oh man. And so I thought, do I go over like knowing that I have a specific expertise in this exact situation? And I did. And I went over and I said, hey, like, I don't want to intervene. You know, this might be completely inappropriate. I know you're going through a lot right now, but I specialize in children with autism who are minimally verbal. Is there any, does she have any type of communication like AAC or a device? Or she's like, yes, she does. She has a device. And so she like pulled the device out of the bag. I'm like, looking at the device. I'm like, okay, like, you know, maybe we can present it to her and see how she's feeling. Like at least she can communicate, you know, that she's frustrated and what she wants. And of course, like as soon as we pulled it out, she started, I forget what exactly she was asking for. It was like Skittles or something like some type of candy. And she's like, oh, like you want candy? And so we got the candy out and like, sure enough, the tantrum stopped. Yeah. And so it was just like, it was one of those situations where I was like, can I really not escape nonverbal autism? <laughs> but I felt really good that I was able to help the family. And yeah. So anyway, I can relate to, to that story too. Yes. I mean, when there's an opportunity to help, most people help, you know, I can't imagine anything, anyone I know who works in education would have said, not my day. Today's my day off and rolled over and been like, I'm going to find another spot on the beach. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. That's not what we do, you know? Um, uh, and so I, I absolutely could not imagine you doing that, right? So, no, not at all. <laughs> I was like, I got you. I'm going to figure I, this out. I totally picture you like, okay, so she doesn't have an AC. Let's, uh, let's draw some pictures in the sand here, shall we? <laughs> 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 exactly. Oh, okay, Chris. So who, who have we had the pleasure of interviewing today? So today is a longtime friend, uh, Kelly Key. Uh, Kelly Key is someone I've known for a long time at ATIA. We talk about it a little bit. We've met at uh, the conference. Uh, she has done a lot in, in AAC over the years in transforming the, the culture of her school district that she works for. Uh, her and I often are, are very similar in what we do is that we're the assistive technology people. So AAC is, a brand, is just one part of what we do. But she has really built a culture of partner augmented input and core vocabulary um, and when I say partner augmented input, I mean, I mean, aided language stimulation. I mean, modeling on the device, uh, all of her, um, her teachers know it, the paraprofessionals know that's what they're supposed to do. They all understand core vocabulary and descriptive teaching, you know, just taking the big content words and, and describing those in core vocabulary terms. Uh, and so we talk about that in this interview about, you know, how she did it, tips of the trade. We also talk a little bit about the selection process how she uses a very similar process to then the one that we've discussed on this, on this podcast. We reuse the Joy Zabala set framework. So, so this way listeners can go, okay, well, here's someone else that is doing this and has been doing it for years. And she just gives some advice about what to do and, and, um, and, and what to stay away from. And that's kind of why I love this podcast is because, you know, we all kind of do very similar things, right? We follow the research. We know about core vocabulary but everybody has their specific experience that has gems of wisdom that we can pull. And so everyone on our podcast has had some type of new app or game or strategy or something that can be really valuable. And so I'm really excited to, for our listeners to hear Chris's interview today. Um, before we head into the interview, I want to give a shout out to some of our fans. So Chris and I talked about using gifts in therapy. 
And I got a lot of people posting about how they loved it. They're using it. Some people tagged us in photos of them using gifts in therapy. And so shout out to all of our great fans. Um, We're happy that you benefited from that episode. And please keep tagging us in things. I love seeing what you guys are doing. And I think we can all share what we're doing in therapy and collaborate in those ways. Um, And so keep on keeping on awesome listeners. So without further ado, here's the interview with Kelly Key. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and today I'm here with Kelly Key. How's it going, Kelly? It's great, Chris. So, Kelly, thanks for coming on the podcast. You and I have known each other for, uh, I don't know, a a long time. We've we've, uh, run into each other and met, I think, at ATIA many years ago. Is that about right? That is correct. Um, So, for people who don't know you, let's introduce people. So, what do you do, and uh, where do you work, and how did you get started in AAC? So um, I work for Barrington School District in Barrington, Illinois. We are a unit school district, so I work with students from ages three up to their 22nd birthday. And um, I've been here for over 20 years. My background is actually a special education teacher, and I've always been so passionate um, to give my students a voice. And so as soon as I was um, in my first classroom and had a student with a communication device, it opened, I noticed how it just opened up a whole new world for them and how much more they were able to say and accomplish um, being able to have that voice and the, the vocabulary. So um, it's definitely been a passion of mine. I, um, I am the Assistive Technology Coordinator. That's my title here. I've had various positions in addition to the AT Coordinator throughout the years. Um, I have been an administrator as well. Uh, so up until two years ago, I actually had dual roles. I was um, a special services facilitator, so I oversaw like our low incidence life skills program, as well as the one assistive technology coordinator for our district. So um, I wear many hats, but I am very passionate about giving students a voice and uh, love what I do. <laughs> well, it's so exciting, Kelly, because I think you and I are very similar. I mean, just this year, I became the, the, the specialist in our school, which I think, and so my whole job is assistive technology, and it sounds like your job morphed into that, too. Exactly, yes, and I cover not just AAC implementation, but I work with um, all students at all levels um, and academic supports and access, physical access, um, as well as my passion, AAC implementation. <laughs> Kelly, do you have um, a team that you work with, or is it like you're the person? So I am the one person, but I could not do it without our teams. So definitely um, every student, regardless of what um, what I'm consulting on, it's really a t- true team approach. So I am the facilitator generally, and um, but they are the expert on the students, so I work with all the teams. We also have a, um, two different committees that I've created. I have a, an assistive technology committee. We meet primarily virtually um, because it is so difficult being a unit school district and so large and everybody on different schedules. Um, We do meet virtually for that committee, as well as I created a core vocabulary committee about 11 years ago. And it has existed, it continues to exist? Yes, again, less in person and more virtually. (laughs) But um, it's amazing how just getting people together to um, share resources and come up with new ideas and new initiatives, how it's pretty been pretty powerful for our students. That's awesome. 11 years you've had that committee. Yes, yes. (laughs) Have you you seen it change? Have you seen it grow? Uh, Oh, it has grown dramatically, yes. Um, We have, gosh, I think we originally started with six. Um, six staff members and myself. That's how we started our core vocabulary initiative, which I'm certainly happy to touch on. Um, but it, there were seven of us, and um, now I think there's at least 75 in the group. So Whoa. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a committee, that's an army. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we are a large school district. So, and we do have a lot of people that have seen the magic of um, using core vocabulary with our students. So, I think that they equally are as passionate about it. They've seen it work for our students. So, well, so that let's, let's talk about that for a second, Kelly, because, um, you know, I think uh, I've mentioned this in the past on the podcast, but ASHA talks about evidence-based practice. And they yes. say that there are three pillars to evidence, evidence-based practice. One, what is the research? One is, what is the research saying? Two is, what are the actual users of whatever the strategy we're trying to implement say about that strategy? And maybe the third is, or definitely the third, is 
what are the professionals saying? And so you have, and this is just 11 years of having a committee, let alone whatever has happened before that, you've seen professionals grow from a, you said like a small team of, what did you say, five to 75 yeah. people? Uh, that sounds like a lot of professionals prof professing the, the use of that uh, philosophy of using core vocabulary. Absolutely, yes. So, um, yeah, it was 10 years ago when we started this initiative. And um, because there was one of me and such a large district and so many students with needs, communication needs, um, I felt like staff really, staff and parents really needed to be more well-versed in this core vocabulary. You know, we've, I've been to Gail Van Tatenhove's sessions where, you know, she's so passionate about it and teaches about us about the research and um, how it supports students. And I felt like we needed to make sure that we um, expose our students and immerse them in core vocabulary words and visuals as well. And so I got this small group together. We um, all decided on what our low tech boards were gonna look like, what symbols we were going to use as our anchor symbols whenever we were representing a core uh, word. And um, we, the, the six of them went ahead and they just started modeling on these boards. And um, we wanted to prove it worked before because we were kind of the front runners in the area that even trying this out. So we wanted to prove to our staff that it worked. So we took a ton of video examples, pre and post. And um, yeah, we saw the magic. I keep calling it magic, but it is magical. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then we soon after we trained all the special services staff in the district, and that was about 10 years ago. And now it's just, it's launched. We immerse our students with core words, core visuals. When they're three years old, they come into our early learning center with um, staff modeling on boards and with um, cord out visuals throughout the room that staff are modeling on and students are using. So uh, it's pretty exciting. So when you say 10 years, this is your 11th year of having that committee and, and, and starting that initiative, that predates iPads? Am I thinking of that yeah. right? Yeah, the low, it was low tech, exactly, yeah. And, and that's what's so nice about this is if, even if you don't have the technology, you can start off with just printing out boards. And if you don't even have a laminator, you can slide it into a little uh, clear page protector. You know, there's so much you could do um, to help support students and it really doesn't take the high tech. So I'm sure people are wondering, okay, so uh, this 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago when you started this and you said you started off with a, uh, you, you met as a committee to decide what symbols you were going to use, so you'd all be using kind of the same symbol set. What right. was that process like, and what did you land on? Well, many of our students were very successful using the PRC devices. So back in the day, it was the Vantage light and the Springboard light. Um, and so we uh, felt like because they were um, already set up with core vocabulary and our students, we really were seeing success with the students that were using more of those devices. And so we really based our low tech boards off of the 84 Vantage Light, um, MinSpeak, and then um, the Springboard Light was our 32 board. Yeah, so yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me, Kelly. It looks like you took uh, the evidence that you had from, from, using, from, from users, from actual users, and said, well, this seems to be working. Let's just keep going with this. Yes. Which, is, which is not to say, let me guess, it's not to say that, if, that you wouldn't change if you felt like there needed to be. Oh, 100%. I mean, there are some um, students right when they come in at three years old, we know that's not enough for them. Even before a student starts one, we see them at screening. Uh, staff, staff knows to bring me in immediately and we'll start the set process and we will individualize immediately for students. Awesome. So let's talk about that for a second, because you touched on how you work with uh, teams, I'm guessing IEP teams, or, right. or to, to make the selection. And you mentioned the set process. You know, I've mentioned that on the podcast in the past, but it'd be great to hear what it's like in your neck of the woods. What does that selection process look like? Sure. So for communication, it's different from looking at like more of um, academic supports. For communication, what we do is we started off with a meeting. And the meeting is our set it's our set meeting, you know, based on the set framework by Joy Zabala. And for communication, what we do is I, I used to have big post-it note chart paper up on the walls, one letter for each of the letter of set. And then I would run around with my marker and we would brainstorm and I'd write the information down. Now it's actually high tech and I can project my little template up on, um, on the screen. But what we do as a group, it's um, we make sure all the stakeholders are at this table. So parents are there. Anyone the parents want to bring, outside therapists and providers, any family they want to bring with, um, all of our team at the school is there, and then I'm generally the facilitator uh, for these meetings. 
and we go through and we really focus on the students. So the first S is for students. And um, we talk about their strengths. We talk about their behaviors. Um, we talk about motivators because we want those are some of the first things we use when we're working on AAC implementation and um, showing them the power of their voice. And, um, you know, the, we talk about physical access and vision. So all those people are at the table helping to put that all together, that fine motor piece. And um, so we gather information about the student. We even talk about family members and who are they close to and pets and all that kind of stuff, all that more personal fringe um, things that are important to them. Then under environment, we actually know communication is, um, we're using that in every environment. So for this section, what I focus on is I look at what are all the things that the student is currently using to communicate, you know, whether it's gestures, sign language, a low-tech core board, um, and what uh, have they used in the past. And let's talk about pros and cons of each, because we don't want to have to, we're not going to do the same thing again if it didn't work before. So pros and cons of each of those. And then we move on to the first T, which is tasks. And for communication, we're looking at what do you want the student to be able to communicate that they're not able to communicate. So at this point, you know, we talk about priorities. And because we want them to communicate everything, right? But we talk about priorities. And then at that point, we're brainstorming vocabulary and phrases even. And um, parents really, really love this part. I feel like they get very excited about this. And what's really interesting is when a student's here at three years old, the parents really don't know about our core initiative yet, unless they've heard. We do have parents move in just because of <laughs> what we've been able to accomplish with our students with communication. But if they haven't heard about it, it's amazing under tasks how many of the phrases and the vocabulary that words that they've brainstormed are all core all cored out. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then under tools, of course, that's where we focus on the features. What features do you feel are, are important for the student to be able to have? You know, does it need voice output? Do they need to be able to spell? Does, do they need a grid? Um, do they need, you know, adaptations for visual needs? Um, and so we go ahead and fill all that out. And, um, and you know, under that tools part, it's really important because some students we've had to be very, very creative um, some students are very, very unique and just, a, a you know, an iPad with a, an app is not going to suit them. So uh, it's really a neat process where we all work together from the start to determine what's the best setup for the students. And because we do this, implementation is so much easier and people buy in so much quicker because, hey, we decided on this first tool to try together or we came up with and brainstormed all of these you know, ideas together. So this is great, you know. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like everyone just has bought into it then. There's yes. no trying to convince anybody because everyone had a say in what the, the selection process was. Exactly, exactly. So Kelly, let me ask you some clarifying questions. So you, you mentioned how the, the tool section, that last T of the set process comes last. Do you find that when you're doing the, the S part and the E part and the tasks part, that that informs that last about coming up with the needs? I really do. I, I do. Especially that component with this, yeah, the student part, I think is huge. Um, really talking about their physical access or their vision needs and all that. Um, and then of course, yeah, that tasks part too, because knowing what vocabulary and phrases and, and all that, it, you know, making sure that they have what they need. Cool. Well, let me ask you this too. You mentioned that your role on the team is as a facilitator. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Because I'm imagining there's a a speech therapist there and an occupational therapist maybe and a, and a physical therapist like you said the parent and a special ed teacher so yep. in this facilitator role what what's what's your job so my job really is to listen um, to gather the information and get it down I type it on my computer and I, we put it up on the on the template that's up on the screen and I like to have all of the letters visual at once because we can bounce back and forth to different ones um, and then I just encourage that communication a lot of times the parents sometimes will sit back so you know I let the teams know in advance you know try and do your best to get let the parents speak because they know their child, you know, so well. And it, so I kind of try and encourage them and, and ask them some leading questions to help pull some information from them. Um, but I'm really doing a lot of just gathering that information. They know the student best. Um, so at, at that point, that's where I'm not, I'm just, yeah, gathering the info. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So it sounds like you ask a lot of questions. They do, they do. Of, 
Cool. That's cool. And let me pick picture what if you could describe what I'm seeing projected up on the screen. Because when I see the set process, um, I see like four blank areas: one for yep. the S, and the E, and the T, and yep. the T. But then you mentioned some more specific questions. So do you have those kind of outlined already to kind of I do. round out what each, you know, each questions to ask in each one of those four, four areas? Yes. And in fact, the parents, um, the team, the team already has seen it. They have a copy of the, you know, of the form. They're all pretty, they're knowledgeable about it. But the parents get a copy at least a week in advance of the blank template with those guiding questions. And a lot of parents will actually come to the table with it filled out, which I think helps them a lot. But we tell them, you don't have to fill it out in advance. You just bring this with you. But we want to, we want you to know in advance so you can start thinking about what your answers would be. Um, so that's helpful for them as well. That's awesome. And can I ask, uh, it sounds like you've been doing this for a while. How did you develop those questions? Uh, throughout the years, we, um, uh, we just kind of kept evolving. You know, I, I started it off where it's been pretty consistent, actually. But uh, um, I've gotten in a lot more detail under the student component. In, in the past, it was kind of more generic. Now we're really looking specifically at vision and, and you know, fine motor and you know, physical access and stuff like that. And, um, but yeah, I guess I just kind of came up with it many, many years ago, and it's been working. <laughs> so. That's great. That's great. It sounds like it's working because it sounds like you have lots of kids that are really, and, and teachers and teams that are uh, making huge gains with AAC. Yeah, yeah. And it's really exciting because I am, um, my office, I begged after I um, left administration two years ago and I've been full-time assistive technology, I begged to be in our early learning center as my office, even though I travel throughout the whole district, because I think it's so critical to make sure that we get um, students right when they come into our program, making sure that they're immersed in core vocabulary that we're modeling. And if they need something individualized, we get it for them. And so it's just so fun just to walk down the halls and to hear the, the chord out songs, the staff and students singing as they're walking down the hall or, you know, walking into the classrooms and just seeing the magic. It's, it's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that implementation process and some of the strategies that the teachers use or that you find most effective. Like if if someone wanted to get started um, really with implementation, what kind of strategies would you give them? Well, I think the key, and this is a big part of my role, is um, helping staff understand the whole modeling, um, why, why we model and how to model, but then really just gaining that comfort level with modeling. Um, using those words visually and verbally, uh, I think is so important. And so that's a huge part of my job is sneaking in those creative ways to provide professional development whenever I can. Um, so yeah, I have, I have some fun, fun ways where I've been able to, cause it's really difficult to get staff before and after school, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yes, just, just get fitting in some professional development is whenever I can and then get, helping them gain that comfort level with modeling, I think is tremendously helped with the implementation. Well, you know what it sounds like to me, Kelly, when you've been doing this for as long as you've done it and you've now um, created a culture around it where you have, like you said, 75 people on this committee and there's probably more or in that group and there's probably more that are doing it that are not even in that group. Yes. It sounds yeah. like it becomes systemic. So, so uh, if someone was just starting out in their neck of the woods, they, here's a perfect example of where it could blossom to. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so when you say you have some, some, you know, training, uh, <laughs> do, do you, what kind of advice would you give people to, to when doing training or coaching? Sure. So, um, I think one of the biggest thing I started doing last year was, you know, again, it's so difficult to find time to, um, before and after school. So I've done little things like, um, I've pushed into the classrooms, even when the students are there. We'll schedule a time that maybe there's um, a few therapists in the room. So the speech pathologist is there and the teacher. And they're really well versed in core and modeling. So they'll go and they'll take the students in a group. And I will take all of the assistants that work or the paraprofessionals that work with the students that really need that comfort level and hands-on training. And I'll just pull them to the back of the room and we'll do a mini session right there. If they need to pop up and help a student, um, they can. But taking that half hour um, every couple, you know, once a month or every other month to, to work with the staff, it's been a great way for us to fit it in. And then the staff says that it's so worth, you know, the half hour that the students aren't with them. Um, it's so worth the time because in the end, they, um, they, you know, they work with the students so much better and have such a, 
uh, a great, a more, you know, a better comfort level with using it. Yeah. Another, yeah, another thing I do is um, I walk the walk. So I push into classrooms at least once a month. I'm in the, the classrooms that have students with more um, complex communication needs and I lead an activity with the students. And it's an awesome way for me to really get to know the students to help the staff problem solve things on the spot. But then also I always have a slide up for the staff of reminders, you know, um, don't forget to make sure after I ask a question or make a comment to count to 15 in your head before you would even start our prompt hierarchy. Um, and things like, um, I, you know, the modeling piece, talk to the students on their board or on your, you know, board or on the device um, as much as possible throughout the lesson. So giving them tips on the spot, but then also showing them modeling what I'm asking them to do. So that's been very helpful too. Yeah, you know, I have found the exact same thing. When you, uh, when you said walk the walk, right? Yeah. And when you uh, pull them and do a short, even 15 minute thing in the back yeah. of the room with one kid, um, it, a lot of, uh, my experience has been some people, uh, before you do this with them, and before you do this um, a couple times with them, a lot of what they do feels like they're just wrangling behaviors, you know, and just making it through the day. Yes. They feel like they're actually teaching and they're actually, okay, I, I have a direction here. I have a purpose and I, and I know what to do. This person has shown me what to do and they, they've, they've let me practice, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, let me ask when you were, um, when you've been talking about modeling, do you use any, uh, mnemonics or like, for instance, we, We've talked on this podcast before about s'mores or yes. Abby Jones Willibur has been on and she talks about Master Pal. Have you used anything like that or has it been more, nah, we haven't needed that. We just, you know, have conversations in practice. Well, um, we have a couple slogans in district. Like um, for modeling, we always say we want to talk to the students visually and verbally. Um, and when I talk about modeling, a big thing is that wait time. So that perfect pause is always and so important but um i actually am wearing one of my shirts that i give away to staff right now um it says aac's next top modeler we actually have um an initiative i started last year um barrington's next top modeler and actually gail van tatenhove and i presented years and years ago together for infinitech and we um she came up with AAC's next top model er and we had a whole had a whole contents or a contest with um she came out and she was Tyra Cora word bank so this is all based off the you know America's next top model but um so we turned that into a big initiative here where an incentive for staff where they can get tickets when they're caught modeling and they can earn t-shirts and on my t-shirt I actually do have um the word modeler and then you know the the words that kind of go with the word modeler so we have bulletin boards and we have um, posters all around our schools that have this little uh, visual here to remind people to model and what modeling really is does. I totally remember that. I totally remember that initiative uh, from the Infinitech presentations, and that is awesome, right? Because it sticks with people, and it is, and yeah. and it's uh, an incentive, like you said. And then they get the T-shirt, and then it just grows from there. And the posters—that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It really is fun to give away prizes. <laughs> so Kelly, let me dig into something else too. You you've been using the phrase like "core it out." Yeah, right? when in doubt, core it out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> So when you do professional development, what kind of activities do you do to help people core it out? And what does that really mean for people who are like, okay, I know about core vocabulary, but what, is, what does that mean? Right. So when we say when and out, core it out, it kind of means it's a two-part thing. One is just using those core words um, to describe um, that some of that fringe vocabulary, trying to use those core words as much as possible. So like, for example, if I was gonna, if we have this end of the year school picnic and it's like the big deal at one of our schools. And so when we talk about the picnic, we talk about how we're gonna go, go eat and we're gonna go sit and we're gonna go play. So using, you know, those core words to describe um, those fringe vocabulary words, always whenever we're doing lessons, we wanna ask questions where we're looking for more of a longer response versus a single fringe word. Um, so coring it out that way, but also visually. So if you walked around our schools, you will see um, phrases all throughout the school. So, and I actually have some amazing video that I've captured of students actually using some of these. Um, you know, in our early learning center, you'll see little Velcro phrases that say, you know, um, 
I need help, please. And it's the words plus our men speak symbols for our students that, you know, to help support them. If they're using a device, it's a nice script for them. If they're verbal, it's a great visual for them. Um, so we have vis poured out visuals and phrases everywhere you go. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, that's something we're talking about our neck of the woods too, is, is having um, teachers practice that. So if you had like the word volcano, you yes. would you would core it out and you think about what are the core vocabulary words that could be used to describe volcano. That's exactly. like a science lesson. And then we do it again for like social studies, like let's say the word is citizen or something. You yes. I have some really cool activities I do during my professional development where like they'll pick um, an item up on the screen and they'll write down all the core phrases that go with that item on the screen that they could say while playing with that or using it. And then they switch to a completely different item and then write and then they circle all the phrases and words that they could use with that completely different item um, using core vocabulary. So that's kind of one of the first things that I do with staff and, and I do it with parents too. I love that because it really shows how versatile the core vocabulary yeah. is. Exactly, exactly. And then using descriptive teaching. I try and teach our, our you know, teachers about descriptive teaching and, and how to utilize that in the classroom. Tell me more. What's descriptive teaching? So um, this is, again, Gail Van Tatenhove. Um, really, again, it's, it's basically exactly what you said, using those core words to describe or to um, define a fringe word. And again, it's a lot has to do with teaching the teachers, like I mentioned, um, not asking a student, what do Indians live in? Instead, you're going to ask them, what is a teepee? And you're actually getting, a, it's a lot, it's a little bit higher cognitive skill and you're getting more information versus just a one word answer. You're actually going to get, they live in it. They sleep in there. You know, if you're describing that with core vocabulary. So you can get a lot more bang for your buck using core to describe the word versus programming the words into students' devices, you know. <laughs> Kelly, this could not be more timely for us because it, for me specifically, and maybe anyone else listening, but specifically for me and the team that I work with, we have a huge initiative starting um, uh, and, and continuing, I guess, but uh, we are really practicing that. Like I Literally last night I was working on slide decks talking, we we're okay, what words would we want them to core out? You know? Awesome, I love it. <laughs> so good. When I was, when I was teaching, I, um, I used to make, I talk, when I present, I talk about this. I'll actually show a, um, a communication board that I had during one of my plant units. And all it was was the word, you know, plant, dirt, water, sun, all these single words that they could answer. And they could answer with a single word. And then when my unit was done, I'd put that little, you know, uh, sheet in a box and I'd put it up on my shelf and they wouldn't have that vocabulary again. And now we have our core boards and they can, we can put some fringe at the top if it's specific to the activity. We can Velcro that fringe right to the top, but they can say so much more. You know, it helps it grow. It makes it, you know, it's just like there's so much more you could say versus just single answer that you probably won't use again unless you're really into plants. <laughs> Kelly, I love talking to you because I feel like we are brother and sister over in different states. Because <laughs> what awesome. One of my big takeaways from what you just said there was the idea that I'm going to show you how I used to do it. You know, yes. and I try and say the same thing. Like I, I was doing this, what maybe wrong you know, is the yes. way, it, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, now here's how I would do it, and how I do do it, and uh, just all the positive that has come from it. You know, exactly. all the all the growth that has happened from students and teachers. So yeah. let me let me ask you this, Kelly. Uh, it's a question I like to ask um, pretty much anyone that I get to interview. Is what you know, you've been doing this for a long time. What in the world of AAC, what have you been thinking about now? What are you curious about? What are you questing after? What, what's kind of floating your boat? Sure. Um, you know, I always create new goals for the following year. I always get super excited about that. Um, so this year, one of my big things, I feel like staff is really comfortable. Staff, things are going well with staff. But I really want my students to see more of their peers modeling. Um, and using devices. And I also think it'd be a very positive thing for the peers to understand a little bit more about how their friends communicate. So um, this year, I really want to do more with some peer coaching. I want to, um, there's two schools that I already have uh, mentioned it to, and they're on board. And um, so we just have to find a time to gather, you know, students may, I, I haven't really figured out officially how I'm doing it, but we may have them apply. 
Um, we may have the teachers pick certain students that they feel like could really, this could really benefit the students. But, you know, teaching them about core vocabulary, teaching them about the devices and actually allowing them to have um, like our low tech boards and an app on their iPads that they can model then for their peers. So that's, that's a big one of mine. I haven't completely put it all together yet, but that's one of the big goals for this year. All right. When I, are you going to ATIA? Well, I, I am. I'll be right. there. When I see you in January, I'm going to say, hey, how's that, how's that going? How's the peer initiative? Perfect. Going? Good. Then I have accountability by January. It has to be put together. <laughs> and then I'm going to take everything you did and I'm going to copy it. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. That's why I like to share so much because then I help that many more kids, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And you have over the years. Thank you for all, uh, every conversation we've had. You've really helped uh, me and uh, people that I work with. Uh, in the past we've this is not our first conversation for people that, that are, the first time it right. sounds like if you and i have had conversations like this in the past and it yes, has really helped so yeah oh great all right well kelly one last question for you is um i know sometimes you like me you get to do presentations if people have questions what's the way to reach out to you um i my, e my email is probably the best way um to get a hold of me uh it's k k e y so it's k key at barrington220.org and um, I'm so happy to answer people's questions, share resources, you know, and again, anything I can do to help other students. Um, it's such a passion of mine, so please reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly, and thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.